0: when John Kerry said that he hadn't lost in 2004 okay so he waited you can do all right. how about within a week how about the way that Hillary Clinton came out when she had won by over 3 million votes and came out the next day and said the right thing
1: like Stacey Abrams or is that we're not talking about that
0: I'm talking about presidential
2: races here I'm getting this sucker started while DT super fired up (laughs) Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. I'm your host Dean Hinkson, coming to you from the offices of Melman, Castignetti, Rosen and Thomas. All of us literally coming to you from the office as the latest wave of the pandemic seems to be loosening its grip, I am so pleased to be joined in person by my colleagues here at the firm Republican Bruce Melman, Democrat David Thomas, Let's cover 2022 in 22 minutes. Let's engage in some legitimate political discourse.
1: This is the super spreader version of 22 in 22. I'm thrilled to see both of your faces, and it
0: reminds me that all three of us have faces for podcasts. I'm (laughs) I'm uncomfortable being in a room
1: with this many people.
2: (laughs) We are very close to one another. Well, DT, we were just getting into it here before I hit record. The January 6th commission continues to issue subpoenas. I believe Peter Navarro was the latest one to be subpoenaed. Uh, this comes on the heels of the RNC censuring Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney and calling what happened on January 6th legitimate political discourse. Do you have views? Uh, I do
0: have views, <laughs> and I'm, I'm so glad we get to talk about this first. Look here, I think what we're seeing here is that the uh, Republican Party itself continues to be the party of Trump, that he is the guy who is in charge here. And there are only a couple of outliers who are trying to hang on to those little tiny strands of what the Republican Party used to be. Uh, it is tragic for the country here because we need two robust, strong political parties to make our system work here. And that has been the problem over the past year here. I think that when you look you know, at what's going on and what happened at the RNC and uh, censoring members and talking about legitimate political discourse, it is uh, it is beyond shocking to me. Pretzels that uh, Kevin McCarthy is uh, twisting himself into to try to avoid answering these questions. Reporters are chasing him around the Capitol as recently as yesterday, and even he can't really answer the question. It is awful. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, cooler heads at some point prevail. But what I do know is that the January 6th committee is going to get to the bottom of this, and eventually the truth will come out.
2: Bruce, Democrats don't want a robust political opposition on the other side. They want unilateral disarmament, and they want to use January 6th uh, as a cudgel. It was awful. Mitch McConnell said it was awful. He said it was not legitimate political discourse. And I think my Democratic friends are going to find out how robust the Republican Party still is come November.
1: Boy, I hope you're right. It's, it's, uh, let's be honest, in our lifetimes, this is a bleak moment for the RNC, and thank God for Mitch McConnell saying what he did. I, just, I, I thought the party stood for blue lives mattering. If you're defending the rioters, you are defunding the police by other means. I thought the party stood against cancel culture. The RNC's canceling Republicans. I thought the party stood against the Communist Party of China, which says fealty to dear leader or you get exiled, and yet the RNC is exiling uh, two Republicans who voted Republican on everything forever, but they're just not kissing the ass of dear leader. That's a scary point.
0: It is a scary point, Bruce. And the only thing I would would, would quibble with a little bit here is uh, saying, uh, you know, thank God for Leader McConnell here. I'm glad he's speaking out now. I'm glad Vice President Pence uh, spoke out now. Uh, I wish people uh, would have followed the lead of uh, other leaders. I wish other leaders like Mitt Romney, who actually (laughs) spoke out at the right time, like Liz Cheney, who spoke out at the right time. I know those are the Republicans that you believe in, who you
1: think should be running the party and who
0: used to run the party, but don't anymore. It's a party of
1: one. I believed in Mitt Romney back when you guys, your Senate majority leaders, said he wasn't paying his taxes because secret sources had told him. I believed in Mitt Romney when he said we got to keep an eye on Russia. And your president said the '80s are calling; they want their foreign policy back. I'm with Mitt Romney, and I've been with Mitt Romney back when you guys were dragging him unfairly and dishonestly through the mud. Ding, oh, ding, ding! Oh
2: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna close out round one because uh, we only have 22 minutes, and we have an enormous amount to get to because there is an enormous amount going on. Uh, I'll throw up three jump balls, what's going on on the Hill right now, trying to finalize the appropriations process, sounds like they're close on a top line number, the USICA competes, Made in America, uh, the, the, the the continually changing title of this US-China competition bill, uh, and a member stock trading ban, and all complicated by the fact that, and we wish and pray for his speedy recovery, Senator Ben Ray Lujan. Uh, suffered a stroke in the last week. Uh, We don't know when he will be back in D.C. That normally would not be top headline news, but in a 50-50 Senate, Chuck Schumer's now down one senator.
0: Uh, Let me just address that first uh, on Senator Lujan, who is a wonderful guy and has been a good friend to a lot of us uh, uh, for a long time here. I heard from his friend and colleague, Senator Heinrich, earlier in the week uh, that he is uh, recovering well and hoping to be back here in, uh, soon in town uh, in a couple of weeks here. So we'll all be uh, thinking a lot about him and, and looking forward to having him back. Here, here. Uh, regarding uh, sort of what we've got next here, um, why, don't I, why don't I start with the props here and then, uh, Bruce, you can jump in on, um, on a props. Yes, I think the top uh, line number we're going to have very soon here, the Senate, uh, you know, still has to process the CR to kick the uh, funding deadline till March 11th. I think there's a lot of hope in getting this finally done. We're almost halfway through the fiscal year, so we should get it done. And I think they can here. Um, There's a lot of interest by both sides, probably none more than Senator Shelby, who's been in the Senate a long time and who is the top Republican on the committee. And this is his last year being in the appropriations uh, process because he's retiring and uh, heading back down to Alabama. So uh, I think there's the will to get it done. I think they will get it done. I think that's good for everybody.
1: Uh, I agree. I think that we won't see a government shutdown. On USICA competes, obviously. There was a bipartisan deal hammered out by Republicans and Democrats in the Senate. On the House side, they passed a partisan-only, Democratic-only bill. In part, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker, didn't believe, not unreasonably, she could count on a lot of Republican votes. But in part, she has a lot of members who want her to do lots of things through this legislation that, Is unacceptable that are unacceptable to Republicans. Poison pills. uh, They'd call them poison pills for sure. (laughs) Some of it is a pretty legitimate disagreement on trade policy, and so the House and the Senate thinking through trade policy here—that's pretty legit. Uh, But there, I worry about the end game because it's really important that we fund chips. It's really important we fund open ran. If we want to be competitive, if we want to lead in five G, if we want to lead in semiconductors, we need to fund these critical things. And yet they're part of a broader drama that we see undermining a lot of big and important things we need to get done. My hope is that it follows infrastructure. My fear is that both sides go to their own corners and uh, prefer an issue where they can blame the other. an accomplishment where they have to share the credit?
2: Well, we have some old, you know, we have machinery available to us to reconcile bills between the House and the Senate. It's called a formal conference committee. It requires a few procedural machinations in the Senate to uh, get the bill in a position to go to a formal conference. You have to appoint conferees. I don't know that we're headed there, though. I think a lot of Republicans would like to see a formal conference over having some more informal negotiation between House and Senate.
0: Yeah, I guess conferences are not like riding a bike, uh, or maybe none of these people learned how to ride a bike in the first place, because uh, we haven't had one in a long time here. There are complications in a 50-50 Senate for how you would uh, work that out as well. But look, that sausage making. I think they get it done. Um, I think there are enough interest here uh, on both sides of the aisle, and we're sort of at the end game. So I am optimistic that this, is something that can get done and probably get done in the next, uh, you know, in the in the springtime here uh, and be another uh, yet another huge accomplishment for the president getting that signed into law.
2: Well, we know the midterms are near. There's a little bit of a uh, little bit of a silly season already going on. Up for debate right now is banning members of Congress from trading stocks. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has gotten religion on that topic. Uh, I'm going to wrap in end of a lot of blue state COVID restrictions. All seems to be sort of driven by this that the midterms are coming up and and Democrats probably looking at a lot of polling.
1: I think it's a bigger, it's a longer arc than that. I think it flows into the populism that we've been seeing on the left and Bernie Sanders, on the right and Donald Trump. People feel like, people, Americans, and people around the world feel like broadly the system is rigged in favor of the powerful, big, and elite. They think globalization is rigged. They think tech and the knowledge economy is rigged. They feel like uh, things are rigged against them on fav- in favor of Wall Street, and they think they see members of Congress—not even think—they see members of Congress making insanely well-timed trades that just happen, or they're members of their family, you know, make uh, incredibly successful investments, and that is why people are voting for change. That's what pisses people off, and and the idea that you ought to ban members of Congress while they're in Congress from making timely trades that profit with. Questions about whether they were acting on information that they had before others or not, which is already supposed to be illegal, not a surprise to see the, uh, the, the, the folks noting the torches and pitchforks and getting in front of that parade. I, you know, it,
0: the, the Stock Act, which governed uh, this activity and was passed a few years ago. Uh, clearly needs an update or needs some more teeth in it here because it's been too easy uh, to, to work a- around it here. So, I, you know, I think they're going to be an effort to do it here. But, boy, this does get into complicated questions regarding spouses, regarding uh, children, other family members, uh, investments in college plans. I mean, there's a lot of other things here that just beyond the uh, sort of day trading aspects that I think people think about this. But, boy, I, I, uh, this
2: is an issue that's taken off. You know,
1: You know who only invests in mutual funds so there isn't any doubt? Mitch McConnell.
2: Well, let's talk about what something most Americans are dealing with. Not everyone's in the stock market, but everyone does go to the grocery store. Huge, huge headline inflation number uh, out this week, uh, up 7.5% year over year. The largest increase in inflation since 1982. That's why
1: How- the Thomases raised chickens. They saw th- <laughs> they saw this coming. Their egg price has not
0: gone up. Too soon, Bruce. All our chickens been killed by a fox. Uh, uh, it's very sad. For um, which you
1: blame... Donald Trump.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and for which the Thomas children are still in therapy. What's the impact here? I mean, obviously, this has played into Senator Manchin's calculation on build back better and more government spending. But what, what's what's the political impact for, for what's going to get done, the political impact for the midterms in November?
1: Well, inflation is bad for the party holding the White House based upon every election ever. Uh, It's one of the major headwinds. Obviously, a lot of the challenges go back to some of the mismatch between supply and demand um, catalyzed by the pandemic. But it also plays into the idea of we need to spend more. Uh, The White House has come out and said eight economists and four out of five dentists believe that if you pass the Build Back Better spending trillions more, that will bring inflation down. I think the average person thinks government taxing more and spending more doesn't reduce inflation i think it's uh it is an issue that the democrats are going to have to fight uh, an uphill battle against and their only hope is that just as inflation started really kicking up year-over-year growth around april or may uh, you may see by the summer the year-over-year growth is going back down because it had already kind of got its big Over year over year bump.
0: So yes, inflation is something obviously that the White House is concerned about. They're gonna continue to work on here. Dean, you correctly point out that this was 40 years ago, uh, going back to 1982. Who was president then? Ronald Reagan. What happened with Ronald Reagan uh, leading into 1984, Morning in America? So let's take a look at the other economic numbers here uh, that Joe Biden has already dealt with in his first year. Economic growth, the best in 40 years since Ronald Reagan was president. Unemployment is at 40%. Wages are way up. Job growth is the best job growth ever in the history of our country for a first year president here. And I always have to remember you, look at the hand he was dealt with when he arrived. Uh, The White House knows that he will be judged in the midterms and for re-election based on how he's doing on the economy and how he's doing on COVID. Let's talk about COVID. COVID numbers are down. Omicron, it seems like we're finally around the corner. These things don't happen by accident and and you know what we have to remain vigilant for what may happen next and and future virus but you know what joe biden has a plan and he's got professionals around him and the plan is working let's look at the infrastructure bill they passed the infrastructure the biggest infrastructure bill since dwight eisenhower uh created the interstate highway system these are things that showing that government is working here. Does it happen overnight? No, it takes time and patience. And that's something that maybe we've lost over the past five years here. But I am excited about where we are. It's springtime. Baseball is going to be recording wow. pitchers and catchers
2: soon. <laughs> Let's go, USA. Gee whiz, Bruce. I, he's so enthusiastic. I almost believe him.
1: Uh, just, what, what exactly did the administration do to make
0: Omicron go away? Uh, what did they do? They passed the uh, uh, the rescue plan at the start of the year that allowed for a robust vaccination to about most people to get vaccinated here.
1: And so what you saw is a quicker uh, a quick rise followed by a quick fall. So I'm sorry, you're saying that the administration in March, months before they declared independence from the vaccine, before Delta and before Omicron, saw Omicron coming. And even though they've been promising tests, which aren't at my house from them yet, and they said testing is broken. They haven't still sent me the test. This is all the 3D chess game? Okay, I guess.
2: I'm, I'm going to make one quibble with your with your Reagan-era history there, DT. It took Chair, Federal Reserve Chairman Paul Volcker to step in and jack interest rates up around 14% to finally break the back of inflation in the early 80s. We, there is nothing like that uh well, more, more important
1: how, how did 82 work out for the gop the party holding the white house was that a uh, was that a morning in america midterm no <laughs> well, and so it's I, 82 I, equals 22 my, my friend goodness for
0: you know for all the the my colleagues here who claim to be <laughs> children of the reagan revolution i've never seen such negativity before <laughs> where is the positive yes i believe in america i believe we're coming back i believe we've had a rough two years Actually, we've had a rough five years, and uh, things are getting better. And I will take that to the bank any day of the week.
2: And where was Joe Biden in the early 80s? He was a spring chicken senator in his (laughs) (laughs) mid-50s. hey one thing you didn't mention DT I whether this is going to be a boon or bust for the president but he does have a Supreme Court pick the announced retirement of Justice Breyer. I love the uh, there's a little bit of trolling going on between Senator Lindsey Graham and Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina with uh, with with Mr. Clyburn. Uh, the number three there, South Carolina congressman, the number three in Democratic leadership. Uh, they like the state Supreme Court Justice uh, uh, Ms. Childs. president's committed to picking a black woman as, as a former chief of staff to Senator Dan Coats, uh, who before his stunning success with the Alito nomination as Sherpa, uh, was sherpa for Harriet Myers got to go
1: that's 22 times hey, up
2: but point is there's there's a, there's a lot more ways for these to go sideways than than to rally your base I suppose so here. I mean, I
0: think, look, you've got uh, not only a, a president who serves in the unique position of having uh, been chairman of the Judiciary Committee, uh, you have a chief of staff who also serves as a staff director of the Judiciary Committee. And this is uh, something that the you know didn't surprise the White House, that Justice Breyer uh, might step down here. So I think they're going to be ready. I think we're going to have an announcement soon. And I am confident whoever they nominate, number one, will be eminently qualified, really unquestionable uh, credentials. And, uh, you know, they will have scrubbed the record for whatever pitfalls may or may not be out there. Uh, Look, and this isn't going to be obviously a big radical change in the court one way or the other here is it will be a a left-leaning judge replacing a left-leaning judge. Uh, The only thing that will change will be the average age of the people sitting on the bench, which will drop.
2: Is it now standard practice to order up every high school yearbook of, of every nominee? And uh, yeah. I mean, these uh, these scrubs are now proctological examinations.
1: Yeah, no, I'm wondering, uh, we're gonna learn a little bit about the nominee and who they allowed to sit at their lunch table in sixth grade, because that, <laughs> you know, apparently that's fair game. But look, I, I, like, like all of us, I'm hoping the DT's optimism is right. I'm hoping it's a ex- exceedingly well-qualified nominee and that this goes a la John Roberts. This goes where everybody agrees. You know what? We need. You know, we have a justice retiring. A qualified justice has been named. She's done a fantastic job explaining herself and dodging questions. Basically, is what your job is. Let's let's move on. Balls. And It's going to be
0: an exciting moment because in addition to have the first African American woman on the on the court, which will be a first in history here, you're going to have uh, the most women uh, who've ever uh, served on the court here, and that's a good thing too.
2: Balls and strikes. Balls and strikes. All right, we have, I think, talked this topic to death, but it still lurks out there. Uh, Clients are still engaged on it because there's so much in it. The Build Back Better bill, which Joe Manchin just about two weeks ago called dead again. The Democrat, let's just pull the lens back though. The Democrats have an active budget resolution that allows them to circumvent the Senate filibuster. It's just a matter of what they are going to populate that bill with. Are they going to let this opportunity pass? Or is there something, is there some collection of policies and spending that they can get Senator Manchin, Senator Cinema on board with and, and, get, and get it done?
0: Uh, it, I'm going to continue my optimistic uh, uh, predictions here. The answer is yes, uh, they will come uh, together here uh, later in the spring. I think it's going to require the president to uh, sit down with those uh, senators here and and uh, come up with that elusive framework here. Uh, you notice all Democrats saying, like realizing, like, look, if we're going to get something done, uh, something is better than nothing. And so let's figure out what Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema can agree to, and then let's get it done. Um, it's it's uh, sort of the last piece of the big puzzle here that the president's trying to get done in his uh, first two uh, years here. And the first two years is when the presidents get the majority of their work done. So that's, uh, I think it's gonna happen.
1: Hey, look, I don't think it's gonna happen, but, but mostly because the opportunity to do exactly what DT said, which is the right thing to do, was missed. Back when Senator Manchin made it clear what he was willing to live with and Senator Cinema made it clear what she was willing to live with and the, the, the margin was 50-50, you know, Democrats were going on TV, were going at the White House podium and were, were ridiculing and attacking Senators Manchin and Cinema who did right by their constituencies in their minds and by their states. And now we're back where we already were with the only difference of there's a bunch of scar tissue of the left-wing initially beating the bejesus out of those two senators and now coming back and saying, you know, we always loved you, baby.
2: All right, guys, let's close out on prediction time. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Maybe I can go back and put an actual sound effect in there, but it (laughs) is Super Bowl Sunday coming up. The L.A. Rams versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, My wife, the lovely Lisa, as an LSU grad, I've been reliably informed that we are a Joe Burrow household, so I'm going Bengals 21, Rams 17.
0: Oh, a tight game. I like that. Uh, So, uh, look, I had been predicting that Cincinnati was going to lose every game in the playoffs so far, so I'm going the other way this time. I'm with you, Dean. I think that uh, Cincinnati is the Cinderella story this year. Uh, I, also having Louisiana roots, uh, will be rooting for Joe Burrow. That's B-U-R-R-E-A-U-X. And... uh, (laughs) Uh, look, as, as you all know, my, my wife is from Ohio. Uh, she is from the city to the north there, uh, but she roots on the good Midwestern boys. So uh, we will be uh, wearing orange on uh, Sunday.
1: Well, if it's based on wives, my wife is rooting for Penn State, even though they're not a professional team, nor in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I say Bengals 24, uh, LA 21, and it will be an overtime because this has been the greatest postseason in the history of the NFL. Why stop
2: at the Super Bowl? Sorry, Steve Harrow. It is uh, three-zip bangles. We shall see. Bruce Melman, David Thomas. I'm bursting. It's just great to see you guys in person. Thank you for joining me on 14th and G. Subscribe to us on iHeart, iTunes, or Spotify. And thank you for listening. We'll be back again to cover 2022 in 22 minutes. Thanks, guys.
1: Thank you, Dean.
0: Thanks, Dean.